Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Millennial God Podcast. I'm here today with Pastor Scott Horde. Uh, Scott has been doing some amazing ministry down in the plan, at the Planned Parenthood in Nashville, uh, where he speaks with young mothers about the dangers of abortion uh, and the truth about abortion. And he also uh, always shares the, the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Um, and so he's doing amazing ministry. Scott, thanks so much for coming on today, man. Great being on here, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Hey, um, let's start off just with uh, your testimony. Uh, can you tell, tell us how uh, you became a Christian, kind of how you got saved? What's that story look like? Yeah, um, 51 years old and grew up here in Middle Tennessee. Uh, was a uh, athlete growing up, had two older brothers that were great athletes. We played the typical football, baseball, and basketball. My brothers excelled in it. They were, uh, so it was like being raised with two coaches in the house. So I did pretty good in all three sports and ended up finding my identity there. When I got old enough, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't just sports and, and kids began to party and drink beer and stuff like that. It became a natural fit to go play a game and then celebrate the victory with drinking beer. And I started doing that at an early age, uh, around 13, 14 years old. Yep. And uh, for the next 10 years, that's what it would be. And so I found my identity in partying and in baseball, and I was pretty good at uh, both. And I ended up playing college baseball, uh, got a scholarship at Ball State, played some junior college baseball, ended up at Belmont on a full ride playing baseball there. And the party, the partying continued. And so yeah. <laughs> I was drinking a lot, uh, playing some good baseball. And it uh, seemed normal, uh, but I, I was drinking a whole lot. I was drinking probably 10 to 20 beers a day my yeah. senior year. Um, and then I met this uh, beautiful girl, uh, Lindy, who is my wife today, been married 25 years. Uh, when we met, we started dating. She invited me to Christ Church in Nashville. I went, I sat in the uh, upper balcony uh, because I liked her. And I uh, was intrigued about the message, intrigued about what I saw. I was a little skeptical of the church because it, it, to me, it just seemed like a soft place. I was used to adventure, to fighting and partying and, and yeah. you know, kind of had this warrior spirit. I didn't really sense that in the church. It took about six months and the Lord really broke through. And uh, I felt like he spoke to my heart one day and he said, hey, I made you a fighter. I gave you a love for an adventure and you've used it for the world. I want you to use it for me. And so I was challenged one day in, in the balcony there and, uh, gave my life to the Lord and, uh, left everything behind and, and, uh, began to go on a journey of understanding what is the church, uh, is Christianity true? Uh, what is truth? And so I just began to do what most people don't do, uh, really dive into the scriptures, ask questions and go find the answers to those hard questions. And I was realizing a lot of people couldn't answer them. So I just went and did it myself and, uh, and get, and I came to know the Lord. So that's where it all started. That was, uh, maybe 29 years ago. Yeah. And then how did you get into ministry from there? Uh, not necessarily specifically pro-life stuff, but just your initial ministry. Well, it was crazy. I was struggling with uh, pornography and a guy walked up to me one day in Christ Church. He said, hey, man, I've got a uh, 
little program here called Less Free Living. Would you go through this with me so I can equip you to help others? And he didn't know me or what I was going through, but yeah. we spent 14 weeks together and he gave me this little manual and he said, uh, can you go help others? And I said, sure. Uh, the problem was I didn't know any scriptures or anything and yeah. except for that what were in the book. And uh, so I ended up getting six guys gathered together in, in Christ Church and uh, and it just took off from there. So six guys turned into 12 guys. And then one day we, uh, started this group called men's fraternity and that turned into about 50 guys. We met on, I think it was Thursday mornings at six o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. And all of a sudden I found myself standing in front of these guys, not really knowing that much about scriptures, but yeah. realized, Hey, I've got to learn if I'm going to stand in front of these guys and lead them and, uh, began yeah. to lead a men's ministry. Um, and, uh, but from that point, I was kind of a volunteer in the church. Uh, the Lord began to speak to me. He spoke to me one night, called me to be a teacher. I became a high school teacher a couple of years after that with a master's in education, business education. And it was there that, uh, I just began to get favor in the church and the church eventually called me over, yeah. uh, to run a facility that was an outreach facility, uh, to the oh, community wow. and at Christ church. And so I did that. I was over the marriage ministry. I was over the men's ministry and it just began to take off from there. Yeah. Yeah. And then from that, how did you get into uh, what you're doing now with the pro-life ministry? Ooh, man, what a journey <laughs> that is. So I never dreamed I would be a pastor. Yeah. Um, in between all these things, I'd also formed a nonprofit called Abba Java. Adopted okay. my daughter from Africa, yep. sold coffee. And so I was selling coffee. I was a teacher. Uh, then I worked for Christ Church and did the outreach. And then the Lord called me out of the church. And I was just running my nonprofit called Abba Java, Coffee yeah. with a Cause. And uh, just trying to figure out what to do. And so I was trying to sell coffee. I came up with this concept of selling coffee to big churches because I knew most big churches drink bad coffee. Yeah. So like, if I get them to drink my coffee, they'll get good coffee. And plus they'll have money that goes towards their missions and whatnot. And so, yeah. and so I had, I got a church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee called new vision to meet with me. And we met. And, uh, after that meeting, they, at the end of it, they said, Hey, what are you called to do? And I was like, ah, I'm not really sure. Yeah. I think sell coffee. They're like, you don't sound sure. Why don't you pray about it? Let's come back in a week. And, talk about it. We came back a week later and I said, Hey, what do you call to do? And I said, uh, pastor, they said, good. We are possibly wanting you to come over and pastor a church that's struggling that we planted in Smyrna. Yeah. Uh, and I said, well, it's an issue. I'm not Baptist. I'm not, hadn't been to seminary, hadn't even been ordained. And they yeah. said, Hey, we're not really concerned about that right now. And, uh, yeah. so things came together. It's pretty amazing story, actually, how it all came together. And, it was shortly after that that they brought me on as a pastor of New Vision Smyrna, and they weren't even sure if the church was going to make it. And uh, but if it didn't, they were going to roll me in and hire me in at New Vision Murfreesboro. But uh, it made it, and so I did that for ten years. And so I pastored this church and revived it in Smyrna. And uh, uh, four years into that journey, yeah. there were riots happening in our country. And um, we were all struggling as a society of what to do with this, the racial tension in our country. Yep. Uh, I was struggling as a pastor. It was like, hey, what more can I do? 
And uh, I was challenged by a young man, African-American man. He said, hey, what are you going to do as a pastor yeah. uh, to battle this racial tension in our country? I said, I told him, I said share the gospel. That's all I know to do. Yeah. And he said, it's not enough. And uh, I was like, what do you mean Jesus isn't enough? And he said, I don't know. It's not enough. And uh, that statement made me angry. It, uh, it really did make me angry, angry at him and the statement and uh, really carried that anger uh, into the next day. I was sitting in a Starbucks doing some sermon prep, very busy Starbucks. And I realized I was still angry. I said, Lord, I give you my anger. Take it. Lifted my hands up in the Starbucks, said, please take it away because I don't want to be bitter. Uh, but would you give me something in return to replace it? And, uh, and he said, engage abortion. He gave me two words in that Starbucks that day, six years ago. And, uh, I was like, engage abortion. Uh, so I Googled it and, uh, found two locations. I said, all right, I'll go to this one right here yeah. and see what it's about. And that's where it all began. Yeah. Had no idea in that moment, the connection between racism and abortion. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, sort of that connection? Maybe you can get into the roots of Planned Parenthood, uh, but really, yeah, racism and abortion in America. Yeah. Uh, one, Planned Parenthood is founded by Margaret Sanger. Margaret yeah. Sanger was a woman who uh, was a racist woman who looked at African-Americans, people of brown skin uh, as animals. She considered them animals, non-human, didn't want them to live. Reaches all the way back into actually slavery when uh, certain groups of people in our country looked at black people when they were enslaved and thought they were assets. But when slavery ended, they became liabilities. And so there was a group of people that didn't know what to do. They didn't know they should ship African-Americans back to Africa, another group wanted to colonize them and kind of keep them grouped in a certain part of the United States. Uh, But then the eugenics movement found Margaret Sanger and some of her ideas, they came together and they came up with this idea called population control movement. And uh, it's actually where Hitler and um, uh, the Nazis got a lot of their ideas from uh, to eliminate Jews. They just did it a different way. Yeah. Uh, in Nazi Germany, they gassed and just shot the Jews here. We aborted yeah. African-Americans. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely has a lot of roots. And I know that uh, whenever we went down there, uh, you know, and, and we're with you um, down at Planned Parenthood, we, uh, I mean, just the proportion, the sheer uh, percentage of young women that came from minority communities were uh, it's staggering. Like the proportion of, of minorities versus, uh, you know, white women that, that go in there is, is honestly staggering. Um, yeah, they talk- would say in, in a, in a statistic, the country would say that, you know, 40% of abortions are African-American or yeah. whatnot, but what we see in Nashville going into the Nashville Planned Parenthood, I'd say eight out of 10 yeah. are people of brown skin. That's Latino yeah. and African-American. Yep. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, the techniques maybe that you use or how you go about um, talking to someone whenever they, you know, whenever you see a car rolling towards uh, Planned Parenthood with a young mother in it, uh, you know, what's your step-by-step process uh, to try to get her to not abort her child that day? That's a good question. Uh, first off, we had our, just want to celebrate, we had our 268 yeah. rescue this week. That's so awesome. Yeah, we're, that's and we're hoping, uh, we're thinking maybe twins are possibly 
uh, in the process of being rescued as well. So it could wow. be 270 before we know it. I'm still talking to a couple uh, through texting and on the phone to try to prevent those twins from dying. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. The approach you take, I knew when I went down initially, um, I needed, I knew humility had to be part of the process and yeah. knew love had to be there, but I also knew that truth had to be there. So those three things, humility, love, and truth, and you can't compromise any of them. Probably the biggest mistake new people make when they come down is that they, they think uh, everybody just needs a hug. Everybody yeah. just needs to be loved and, yeah. and everybody does need love and everybody does need a hug, but not everybody uh, is wanting that down yeah, yeah, it is. And so uh, it's a blend of all those and you don't compromise any of them, but truth has to be part of that. So there's yeah. a tension of loving somebody as you are walking in humility, but also sharing truth of yeah. what's going on. And the truth of the matter is, is that babies are murdered at Planned Parenthood. And so, you know, uh, we, it, the key is those three elements, but really walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when you're down there, uh, you have to make sure you're not in your flesh. You know, Romans 8, walk in the spirit and you discern in the spirit and you are watching and you are discerning in everything that you see. And you're asking the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to see, hear and the courage to respond. And every situation is unique. And you're asking uh, the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say within 10 seconds or 30 seconds or a minute as you're engaging these people. And sometimes he'll give you words and, and he'll give you the right words. Uh, Devin, a young uh, lady from uh, uh, West Tennessee drove two hours to abort her child. And she only had uh, 25% of her heart working. The doctor said, uh, you have to abort the child or you'll die if you yeah. deliver, if you try to have it. And she was really pretty torn up about it. And uh, she was driving to Nashville and she was praying and the Lord said, Hey, if somebody tells you there's another way, yeah. uh, don't kill your child. So Devin got out of her car and she's walking down the sidewalk. And I looked at her, I said, all right, Holy spirit, give me the right words. And he said, tell her there's an, there's another way. And I, right. that's what I did. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And, um, and next thing you know, Devin and I are leaving, and she had that baby at Centennial Hospital. I was there with the family. They were like, who in the world is this guy? And uh, they didn't know why I was there. They thought she was going to die during the delivery process. She made it through. Had a beautiful boy named Billy. And uh, a year later, Devin died. Oh, wow. And her uh, family finally figured out who I was. They sent me a beautiful message and said, hey, we know who you are, what you did. And we're so thankful that Devin's legacy lives on. Yeah. Uh, through Bill. And so yeah. the power of the Holy Spirit, man, it's, it's, there's a time to be gentle and love somebody and just kind of bring them to you, uh, encourage them to come to you. And then there's a time down there where you really command and yeah. you command and you can command somebody to come to you if the Holy Spirit tells you to do that and they'll come to you. And yeah. so I have Christians that stand next to me that witness it and they're like, Hey, I noticed you were gentle here, but then you commanded over here and they both worked. How, yeah. how did you know what to do? And that my response is the Holy spirit will tell you what to do. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, a lot of times, you know, pro-life ministry gets a bad rep, especially guys who, you know, we've all seen videos or, or photos of people just like absolutely chewing out someone driving into a, a young woman, plant, driving into a Planned Parenthood. 
um, you know, some guy who's like screaming at her that she's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some, you know, vicious things at a young mother who's scared, but, uh, I can certainly attest, can attest that that's not, not your approach. You, you may you know, flag somebody down, uh, but you always speak the truth and you're always loving those young mothers. Can you talk a little bit? I think another uh, misconception maybe is that, um, you know, Christians or, uh, pro-lifers who, uh, reach out to young women who advocate for them to not abort their babies, that uh, we don't provide any support on the backside. We have no interest in providing support on the backside. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you've been able to help uh, mothers who have decided not to abort their children? What, uh, you know, what does that look like sort of once they make that decision? Uh, how do you get yeah. them out to? Yeah. And going back to your first point there. Yeah. We definitely take a different approach and uh, we want people to feel our love yeah. more than anything it's intense yeah. and Christians have removed themselves from engagement. Christians have removed themselves mm. from the intensity in, of our cultural battle. So yeah. when Christians finally come down and experience it, they're kind of uneasy because they're just not in it, yeah. you know, and it is it. a battle and it should be if children are truly dying there. And if they are being murdered and pulled apart and poisoned there, there should be an intensity there. You know, there should be, you're just, it's just part of it, but yeah, there is a group out there and we encounter them occasionally they'll come by and they'll have their horns and I'm not against amplification. I don't use that because I'm in a conversation. If I have a microphone in my hand and a horn, I'm probably not going to get a conversation. I'm just going to be preaching at people. I get most of my rescues because I have a conversation with somebody, but there are people that come down there that take a different approach. They're speaking truth. I just don't know that their approach is, is, uh, the best way to rescue babies. And so sometimes I wonder if those people are down there just to hear themselves speak, you know? And so a lot of times the ones that come down that are real harsh, they'll turn on me. So they'll just kind of come into our environment, not even introduce themselves, start overriding us and then start telling us that we're going to hell. So, and that doesn't do anything for anybody, but you're right. There's a misconception. And this is probably a question I get asked most from Christians once they figure out what I'm doing, yeah. uh, they're like, oh, you're saving babies. But, well, what are you doing afterwards? Are you just rescuing the child? Yeah. Well, first off, if that's all I do is rescue a child, that's, that's a good enough. Yeah. That's enough. I mean, yeah. if I don't do another thing, that's, yeah. that is an amazing thing to yeah. rescue a baby from abortion. But we do a whole lot. You know, when I started doing this, um, I realized that these women had needs. I got my first rescue and I was like, all right, I can help this one. And then I got another one. And then I ended up with five and 10. I was like, okay, I'm not rich enough, uh, to, to meet these needs. And I wanted to meet their needs. And so I went back into my church and presented it. And, uh, you know, I think our church was shocked. Uh, some people left, some people, took me out for coffee to tell me that they disagreed with me or whatever. But uh, for the most part, the church eventually got on board uh, when they started seeing the moms come in and the babies being born. And we blew our benevolence budget just out of the war, out of this world because we're doing so much for women. But our promise is we want to help you be the best mom that you can be. And we will bless you. We'll bless the child if they have existing children. I mean, we have some of these moms that have six, seven children and we're there for the whole family. So we have bought, I think about nine cars. Uh, And the reason we buy cars for moms, because sometimes they need to get to work. And I think we've bought two in the last few months. Uh, uh, We pay electric bills 
uh, put food on tables, pay a lot of rents. Yeah. We, yeah, and there's nothing, there's no dollar amount. Uh, and there's no boundary to how long we walk with them. Some of these moms we've been walking with for five years yeah. and, uh, it's just, we don't enable the, these women. We, really kind of we know we're making disciples we're doing what the church is supposed to do we're uh, not just getting them in the church we are walking with them on monday and tuesday yeah. we're throwing baby showers for them and we're trying to help them get out of whatever it is they face to get them to a better place yeah and that requires a lot of resources yeah. so yeah uh i mean you bring up a lot of great points uh you know i think in acts uh it talks about how uh, the disciples were literally like selling their possessions so that to make sure that everyone else was taken care of. And whenever I, I think about the church, uh, maybe more specifically your ministry, you know, or, or is that what we're seeing? Are we seeing uh, the church just, you know, sacrifice everything to make sure that, uh, you know, the least of these, to put it in Bible terms, are, are being take care, taken care of the young, the young women who uh, are struggling with, uh, you know, young children uh, or trying to make ends meet. Uh, is the church, you know, has, has the church backed you uh, and supported you all the way through? Or what kind of struggles have you seen uh, maybe from the, the church side? Well, the church has always struggled with the issue of abortion. And when I started doing this, nobody really was on board. There was more questions than anything. And, yeah. uh, and they're like, well, what are you doing? And, uh, and how are you representing the church? And yeah. most pastors don't want to deal with the topic. Yeah. What really put it on the map was when Governor Cuomo of New York uh, proclaimed and put into law that New York, the state of New York, is going to kill children all the way to birth. Yeah, yeah. And he lit up all the buildings red. Well, that lit a fire in a lot of Christians and Christians began to go to the pastors and yeah. ask them the question of, are you pro-life? And they would say yes. And then people would come back and say, prove it. Yeah. And a lot of pastors couldn't prove it. So uh, for the most part, I think up to that point, the church hasn't done a whole lot, even though there have been a lot of people battling this injustice for a long time. And yeah. there's some great people out there that have courageous things. Overall, the church is really not united in this. And so I'm seeing a spark of hope right now. Yeah. And now churches are beginning to rise up. And so one of the miss, you know, that, I've got to be careful here. Churches have been tricked into thinking that the abortion fight is mm -hmm. solely at the pregnancy center level. Yeah, yeah. So there's pregnancy centers everywhere. They're yeah. in Clarksville where you are. They're in uh, Murfreesboro. They're in Nashville. They're everywhere. Yeah. And pregnancy centers are awesome and they're doing a great job. Yeah. But most of those pregnancy centers are not at 412 DB Todd where babies are being murdered. Yeah. They are not on the front line. Yeah. They are 30 miles away this way or 50 miles away this way. And so most churches are funding pregnancy centers there that are doing great work in their communities, helping a lot of single moms out, yep. but they have nothing to do with what's happening at 412 DB Todd. And so I'm trying to show churches that there's another way to do this, that we now as the church have to engage better and yeah. we have to go to where the babies are dying yeah. 
and be the church because it is truly the darkest part of our community. It truly is the gates of hell and it is a spiritual battle right there And the church just hasn't been going there. So part of my ministry is not just rescuing babies, but it's to send that spark in a church to encourage them but also bring a little conviction of, Hey, what are you doing? You know, I always give the example. If we knew that, uh, you know, let's say we have children in an elementary school and we heard that there's going to be a school shooting that day, we would call the police, but what would we do? We would go to the school and make sure it didn't happen. And, uh, and we wouldn't sit back. We wouldn't just put money towards something. We would go. Well, I know, You know, today's Friday. I know on Monday that probably 15 babies are going to die at 412 DB Todd. And so if we truly believe as Christians that 15 babies are going to be destroyed, mutilated, what's our responsibility? The responsibility is the church has to go. It has to go. And so it's a challenge to the church. If we really think babies are dying there, then what are we willing to do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, incredible point. Um, I think one thing too, to point out is, you know, sort of this consumer culture of, of church that we have right now, a lot of the responsibility has been placed on pastors. So, uh, you know, it's on the, it, it's expected that the pastor will, will share the gospel. It's expected that the pastor will coordinate for, uh, you know, giving to the local community or something like that. Um, but I think a great point that you kind of brought up is that uh, the expectation should be on the congregation, the people who are going to church, uh, you know, you should be going to your pastor and asking, hey, what are we doing about, you know, this specific problem in our community, abortion being a great example, how is your church, for anybody listening, how is your church actively getting involved in the pro-life ministry? How are you individually getting involved in the pro-life ministry, whether that is helping out at a pregnancy clinic or going down to a Planned Parenthood and sharing the gospel and telling people the truth about what is really going on uh, inside of those buildings? Because uh, as we'll get to here in a moment, there are a lot of lies uh, about what is actually going on inside of Planned Parenthood, not only about uh, where, you, where the funding goes, but what is actually happening uh, to young women whenever they get an abortion. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it starts even with language, you know, yeah. uh, churches, sanctity of life Sunday is in January. It's like the second or third Sunday of January every year. And so churches, yeah. some churches will take a moment and recognize that most don't, yeah. but you know, when I was pastoring full time, I talked about abortion every Sunday because that's yeah. where all my testimonies came from. Yeah. And people are like, Hey, can you stop talking about abortion can you stop sharing those testimonies like no those are my testimonies and they give glory to god and uh we can't we have to incorporate these things in our language otherwise our kids are going to think it's okay yeah and so the church has to start talking about it and you're right it has to get beyond the pastor because you know a lot of churches ask how can we help And and their idea of making a disciple is well, I'll you know, I'll send you this mom that chose life and the church will be like, all right, we'll get them in church. I'm like, no, that's the very beginning part of it. Yeah. It's great that you get them in church, but don't clap. Don't celebrate that. Yeah. Celebrate what you do with them on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And your pastor can't do that. Yeah. Exactly. Somebody else has to do that. And so instead of living through your pastor, be the church 
and make a disciple, get dirty with this person, figure out how to budget with them, figure out how to, what's going on with their, in their home and, and help them and get dirty. And it is messy and it is hard, but it is beautiful when you see a disciple made. Yeah. You brought up another good point too. Uh, you know, I, I do a lot of, uh, advocating for, uh, sort of, you know, pro-life laws, uh, being implemented, for example. Um, and I, I think it is an important fight, um, sort of the legislative piece of preventing abortion, but, uh, until we can get the legislative piece, uh, completely set and anti-abortion, there still is a cultural piece. And you mentioned a little bit about teaching your kids, uh, the truth about abortion. You know, I think that um, letting, allowing a school or friends or other influences in somebody in a, in a young child's life to teach them about abortion uh, it, it will only lead them astray. And so I think as parents, uh, you know, parents need to be really deliberate about telling them how evil abortion truly is um, and, and the evils that are truly going on to, to young women. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit. Can you talk a little bit or just briefly about some of the misconceptions that you deal with um, whenever you're telling young women about abortion? What are some of the most common um, maybe debate points that you hear from the uh, pro-abortion uh, side of the aisle? Well, the most common one I hear every day, and you know, I've been doing this for six years, so I've it's rare that you hear something new, yeah. uh, but the most common one going in the doors, Hey, you know, they do other things yep. at Planned Parenthood. Yeah. And like, yeah, I know they do other things. And so when you think about that, when you just kind of slow down and think about that, yes. Yeah. Do they do other things? Yes. But what do they do? They pull innocent babies limbs apart. And if the head is too big, they crush it. Yeah. And then they suck it out of the mom. Yep. And if they do that one time, they're evil. Yeah. It doesn't matter anything that else they do. Hitler was evil. He killed yeah. millions of Jews. And guess what? He did other things. Yeah. He fed people. He clothed people, provided medical care and jobs for people. Yeah. And, uh, but at the end of the day, he murdered Jews. Yeah. and other people and so he was an evil person and so you're to have nothing to do with that and yeah. so i see tons of young ladies going in they're prideful they're arrogant they do yeah. other things here you know that right yep. and i'm um, like yeah i do know that but they murder children yeah and so that's probably uh uh the biggest one i face um i was trying to think what else um shoot do you face uh, any uh, attempts to like scientifically debunk what you're saying? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, the 30 year old science that yeah. it's just a clump of cells, you know, and yeah. it's like God, science has come so much further, yeah, yeah. further than that. And, uh, you know, with 40 technology now and ultrasounds, yeah. we so we know so much. I mean, just recently we realized that at the point of conception, there's a flash of light. Yeah. And the genetic code, as we learn more and more about the genetic code, we know so much about the child in that moment. And so, yeah, yeah still here yeah. Uh, all the time. Hey, it's just a clump of cells. Yeah, so. which is which is mind boggling because, I mean, uh, the sign like it is a sheer for, for a uh, side of the aisle who likes to advocate for, you know, following the science. Uh, the sheer scientific fact about abortion is that you're killing a human life. Um, and even in Rover v. Wade, uh, whenever that was. Um, you know, whenever that was first decided, it even says in Roe v. Wade that if we're able to determine 
that a human life occurs prior to when they thought at the time back in the 70s, uh, then we should reverse Roe v. Wade. And uh, I mean, again, the, the absolute scientific factual truth uh, is that that is a human life from conception and there is no other objective fact out fact outside of that you know um yeah that's true and another misconception is that that roe v wade uh everybody says it was a law it wasn't a law no, it's an it was opinion decision. yeah, uh, yeah the decision those guys don't make laws yeah exactly so yeah so uh in a lot i hear all the time hey it's legalized you know so it's right i'm like it, just because a country says it's legal in, in Nazi Germany, it was legal to kill Jews. Yeah. Uh, it Because it's legal, there's a higher law that says, no, this is wrong. Yeah. And so our foundation is always scriptures. We go to Psalm 139 and, and quote that all the time. And that's what we lean on, the truth foundation of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know, I've got a lot of listeners who have messaged me before about kind of how to get started and the things that we talk about. Um, can you talk through for someone who has, you know, never done any sort of event like active evangelism, uh, they've mm-hmm. never, you know, even done so much as like shared testimony or anything like that. Somebody who is starting from ground zero. Uh, can you talk about how you would recommend going from, you know, uh, being, you know, anxious about sharing your testimony, maybe, or about the gospel to a place where you're at right now, which is, you know, every single day, finding the good fight down at a, a place like parent, Planned Parenthood um, and telling people about Jesus every day. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, know your testimony and be able to tell your testimony in 30 seconds, yep. in 30 minutes and in an hour. Yeah. And so, but know your testimony. So I ha- I do uh, several different things. Um one of the best things to do in your community, if you don't have an abortion meal, I call it abortion meal. I don't call it an abortion mm-hmm. clinic because a clinic mm-hmm. signifies healthcare. Meal yeah. means that something's being crushed. And so we're just yeah. being honest with the term. So uh, if you don't have an abortion meal in your community, I would recommend my favorite thing to do is just to pray with people. So I walk in Walmart. If there's an individual that's in proximity of me, that's walking in front of me or around me, I will just say a quick prayer and I'll look out and say, Hey, you might think I'm crazy, but I'd love to pray with you. Is that okay? And nine out of 10 people are like, sure. Well, what's your name? Give me something to pray for. And so I learned something about that person and I say, Oh, so you believe in God? Yeah. Okay. So if you died today, where would you go? Heaven or hell? Uh, heaven why because i'm a good person okay well that's not what the scriptures say can i tell you what the scriptures say and before i'm even praying i'm sharing the gospel and then all of a sudden it leads to prayer nine out of ten people can't tell you um about eternity and salvation so i do that all the time i pray with all kinds of people and when i'm at planned parenthood if people aren't going in the building we're praying with people on the street i probably prayed with 20 people today that had nothing to do with abortion so uh another thing i do is the cross challenge Uh, nine out of ten people on the street cannot tell you what the meaning of the cross is isn't that crazy and so when i'm in the community if i'm in a pizza restaurant or if i'm ordering at panera i'm at the cashier and she has or he has a cross on i'll say hey beautiful cross what does that cross mean to you Nine out of 10 people cannot tell me what the cross means to them. They'll say something about family or it's just something pretty. The closest, most spiritual thing I'll get is 
it protects me. Mm. Oh, tell me how that cross protects you. And then they go down a bizarre trail. And then I say, well, that's nice that you said that. That's not the significance of the cross. Can I tell you the significance of the cross? And then I go into that, which leads into the significance of the resurrection and the gospel. And so, man, I've seen a lot of people actually come to know the Lord in the strangest places because we had a lot of them in the gym where I work out Gold's Gym because everybody's got a tattoo of a cross on their shoulder or on their neck or something. And so, man, I've talked to a lot of people about them and nobody knows. You know, I'll go in to work out and an hour later. I'm talking to somebody and sharing Jesus. And I'm like, I don't have time to work out anymore. I just go home. But man, I leave there. I'm like, man, what a great day. I've had that happen at least a dozen times. So I would use those two things. It's so easy to pray with people and everybody, even atheists like to be prayed for because they see it as an act of love. And so man, pray with every person uh, you can in stores everywhere. And uh, so that's the first way. And, and once you start doing that, it just breaks something. Yeah. It breaks fear uh, because mixed in all that, you're going to end up sharing your testimony and it becomes natural. So uh, it, to take it to the next step, um, I would do that in your community, but then I would also look for your nearest abortion mill. Yeah. If you have one in your community, see if anybody's, if there's a ministry down there and don't, just go down and overrun the ministry, but go down there and say, Hey, my name's so-and-so I'd like to see how y'all do things and learn from you and just observe and pray and begin to do the same thing. Hey, can I pray with you guys before you go in? Uh, Just talk to you for a minute. And uh, that's where I'd start. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Yeah. Some uh, just a few things that came to mind there. Uh, some great resources. First, uh, obviously, uh, at rechurchtogether.org, we have a video on how to share the gospel with people. Um, another great resource I think you and I uh, both watch is Living Waters with um, uh, Ray Comfort and those guys. They've got some awesome, uh, I mean, Ray does some some great videos about, you know, sharing the gospel with people uh, all the time. Uh, and he also has some great films about specifically uh, the abortion debate in America and what's going on. Um, so I highly recommend anybody go check out Living Waters. Um, that's on YouTube. Uh, and then No Place Left is a third resource that came to mind uh, that does a lot of evangelism um, and, you know, techniques for sharing the gospel as well. Um, I would even throw in there the one that really helped me was uh, uh, Apologia Church out of Arizona, Jeff Durbin. Uh, Jeff probably has some of the best street evangelism videos where he is engaging Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and atheists. And that's where really where I started because I was getting bombarded with Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, and I wasn't doing a real good job of handling that. And so I Googled that. I found Jeff and man for years, I've been watching his videos, listening to what, how he does it. And it's presuppositional apologetics. Uh, And what I like about it is it kind of keeps everything in a box. And so a lot of people are like, I don't know enough about everything to do this. You don't have to know enough about everything to do it. Just know the gospel. Yeah. and stay here they might go out on this trail but bring them back and just a yeah. master of it yeah yeah at the, end of the day, at the end of the day the truth of the gospel doesn't change no matter you know who you're talking to um, right let's shift gears for just a second and uh talk about sort of the national level um big picture you know how to obviously you know you're finding sort of like the the tactical fight right the uh on the ground every day uh down at planned parenthood 
what do you think that it, it takes to change our culture to change, uh, you know, the nation, the where we stand as a nation right now, as it uh, pertains to abortion? How do we go from, you know, some states being completely legal up to birth to, you know, all 50 states uh, rejecting abortion outright? How do, how, how do you think that we get there? Well, I think we think it's legislatively and ultimately that's a big piece of it. It's an important piece of it now. I think we've leaned too heavily upon the legislative piece. We got to keep fighting there. Uh, we've lost the cultural battle. Yep. And so you can win legislatively. If you don't win the culture, eventually you're going to lose legislatively. Yeah. Uh, the only way you win culturally is man to man woman to woman and it's one person at a time and so that's what i do every day i go down there and i'm winning one person at a time if we can get enough people in the church to do that we'll see the tide change and so my goal at 412 db tide is to turn the tide of the culture where i live against planned parenthood if i'm not there if the church is not there we're not doing anything we are losing yeah. We are losing. But if one person stands and makes a statement to the thousands of people driving by, yeah. you're you're impacting the culture because every person has to look at you and make a decision. I agree with you or I disagree with you, but you're mm -hmm. causing conviction and you're going to cause conversation. I can't tell you how many young women and men, old women and men stop by and they're like, let's talk. Yeah. And they completely think different than me. But at the end of a conversation, you wouldn't believe how many people had changed their mind because they believed the lie and they had misconceptions about who Planned Parenthood is, who Planned Parenthood is. And uh, and uh, they just believed lies. And yeah. uh, so it, it. You know, I know we want the right president. We want the right Supreme Court. Those things are important. I'm not saying that they're not. Yeah. But the church, if we're going to win this thing, it's not going to come from a president. It's not going to come from a court. It's yeah. going to come from the church rising up. I mean, we had probably 15 people down there today, yeah. and it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. And we'll have next week a bunch of people come down. Yeah. And, man, that just does something. And so not only are you changing the culture of our city, but you're changing the culture of our church. Yeah. And so churches are no longer content with Sunday morning, you know, the, the, the goal, the high point of churches here in the last few decades or all throughout my life has been get the church on Sunday, have a great Sunday, and then just go be yourself on, yeah. on Monday. Yeah. And so we're now beginning to see the church say Sunday's not enough. There's gotta be more. And then, so the pew becomes a, a place where people are now propelled to their culture. And if we can continue to see that happen in the church, we'll begin to see victory. Yeah. Yeah. And the sphere of uh, influence, you know, in, the, in terms of thinking about uh, how people are influenced inside the United States, either they're taking in information uh, that is the truth about abortion, or they're taking in information that is false about abortion, and they're going to believe lies. There is no you know, there is no in between. It's one or the other. Um, and, I, you know, I think as we uh, at ReChurch, we start to rethink church uh, and the role of church in society. Um, you know, I can't I can't imagine uh, very many other topics uh, that we want to push um, other than the abortion debate, because uh, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, like you said, 
children are literally getting uh, killed inside of Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics uh, every single day. And, uh, you know, as we think through the role of church and society, how do we, um, you know, I guess we're just thinking through how do we get that church uh, out into uh, ministry like yours? Uh, maybe you have an answer, um, you know, how, maybe you don't, uh, but yeah, maybe what are your thoughts on how, how can pastors or leaders inside of the church uh, get their congregation out, you know, more than just, you know, I, I think for a long time, people have been hearing the message, like you need to live out your faith. Um, yeah. But how do we, how do, how do pastors or leaders actually get people outside of the church? Well, we call them shepherds. Yeah. And so they have to, a lot of pastors, I hear them say, well, I see you shepherding out there. Yeah. I'm going to choose to shepherd here. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know what, shepherd there, shepherd behind your pulpit, but shepherd your church out into your community. Yeah. Show them, take them. You know, we're called to be light yeah. and light is supposed to engage darkness. We're called to be salt and salt. Isn't just a, a something that pervert, a, a preserves sure. something, but it also eradicates disease and, and things as well. And yeah. so we're called to be salt. Um, and so go be that, uh, we're called to be peacemakers. So think about that. Peacemakers go where there is no peace and you bring peace to situations. And yeah, abortion is the greatest injustice in our country. There's not a, I mean, there's a lot of injustice. There's not one greater than abortion. I mean, Gosh, depending on what figures you looked at, 60 million, 65 million, 72 million have died. Innocent children that should be alive right now. Is there a greater injustice? No. And so we are called to be the church. We are called to be peacemakers. And so uh, pastors have to step out. I know they want to fill their pews. I know they want to fill the chairs. I know it's hard being a pastor. I did it for 10 years. People are going to be against you but we can't play it safe. And our ultimate goal can't be to build a consumer driven church that feels good, that has great lighting and great smoke and great music and great words being spoken. Those are all great things. I love that too, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to send, to send, to make disciples and so you know you you talked about the message that's out there that man that's part of what drove me from behind the pulpit out from behind the pulpit into the street i'm a news junkie i was watching fox news i was watching cnn and i knew there was fake news over here but then i'm watching the news that i think is true and i'm like we all have an agenda too yeah you have an agenda too everybody has an agenda and their agenda is to create separation, division, and it's driven by money. And so I was sitting there thinking, you know what? I got 250 people coming and listening to me every Sunday, but it's the same 250 people. How am I going to get the real message of the gospel out there when Fox News isn't giving it and CNN and MSNBC? They're not giving it either. And so I just wanted to shout And I'm like, where can I go to do this? And all that played into the two words I heard, engage abortion. Now, every day I can go because the news does control the narrative that's in our culture. They know that. They control the narrative. But, man, I'm going to go down fighting. And I'm going to fight that narrative because they don't have truth. I do. And truth wins out. 
Yep. Well, we don't have a huge viewership, but uh, we're certainly trying to help you along the way with your message. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, Lord bless it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, uh, I think something for uh, any pastors or even really just Christians uh, listening in to think through is uh, first, does your church look biblical? And second, what uh, what is what kind of fruit is your church producing? Is it producing visceral fruit where you're making disciples and you're seeing people know and love Jesus inside of your community? Is your church uh, literally sacrificing whatever it takes to take care of people in need and the young mothers uh, that that Scott sees every day? Um, and if not, then you probably need to rethink the the way that you're doing church and what your church is doing in the community. And uh, I just ask that. Uh, you think through that and, and think through how you can take a greater responsibility for your community um, immediately because uh, Scott's doing some great work and we would love to see that spread nationwide. Um, if anybody, I can wants add something to, to oh, that, man. Yeah, I'll tell ahead. you what, as, as a pastor, and when I was uh, leading my church, which I just stepped away from on January 1, um, I realized the best part of the church was not in my building. Yeah. The best part of Jesus, the Father and Holy Spirit was not in my building. And yeah. I've seen amazing things happen in my in that building. Yeah. The best of those things were at 412 DB Todd. Yeah. And it revived me as a Christian, as a pastor, my love for prayer, my love for the word. I began to see miracles, yeah. miracles that I've never dreamed that would happen. Uh, now, now testimonies that I use all the time that I saw because I went and the church needs to experience that now. Yep. Yeah, man. Um, if anybody wants to get plugged into uh, Scott and what he's doing, the awesome ministry that he's doing uh, that you can check out operationsavinglife.org. Um, or as always, you can come uh, drive down to the Nashville Planned Parenthood Monday through Friday. Scott will be there. Uh, Scott, thanks again. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. And uh, thanks for what you're doing in the world. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for what you're doing as well. God bless, yeah. bro. God bless. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Millennial God Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a review. Uh, if you ever want to reach out, you can find us anywhere on social media. And you can also send us an email at millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com. That's millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com.